Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. seconds left on the power play. Left wing, Besser back to Hughes. Shot for the line, tip, they score! Andre Kuzmenko! Stronger than a bear, faster than a buck, the biggest thing to hit Canada because the Maple Leafs suck! Well, when you lose, I, I, I boo too. I don't think they're booing the team. Who are they booing? Are you saying boo or booerns? Boo! I was saying booerns. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Monday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Good intro this morning. Way to start a week, Laddie. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Now it's time for this man, Jason, to tell you about a good company, Kintech. Well, you mentioned it, and we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Really big show, really big show on a Monday on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Guest list begins at 7 o'clock. Ian Mendez from The Athletic in Ottawa is going to join us. Now, the Canucks play the Sens later this week, but we're bringing them on now. To one, foreshadow that game. But two, talk about this red-hot Senators team, which is now just on the outside of playoff contention in the Eastern Conference. What a run. What a remarkable run. Then at 7.30, we're going to talk to Drew Hill. No, not the R&B band famous in the 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> Drew Hill. Actually, it is them. <laughs> it is, it's Cisco. Uh, Drew Hill is the Memphis Grizzlies beat writer for the Daily Memphian. Memphian. I had to work on that one last night. The Daily night. Memphian. Memphian. I'm like, Memphibian? No, just Memphian. Uh, we got to ask him one very pressing question. What the hell is going on with Ja Morant? What's the deal there? Yeah, and I'm actually going to join us today to talk all things Canucks. But uh, Ja Morant, like, I, I, I cannot wait to do this interview because I don't understand what's going on here. So we had Drew Hill, again, the writer, not the R&B band, on this show almost exactly a year ago to the date. We had him on March 2nd of 2022. Mm -hmm. And at that time, we had him on the show because we wanted to talk about the emergence of John Morant as the NBA's next great (laughs) superstar. What a great story this guy is. Right? And everyone knows the ties between Memphis and Vancouver and the Grizzlies. And it's just amazing what's gone on in just over a year, how mm-hmm. dramatically that narrative has shifted. So uh, working in reverse on the guest list, 8 o'clock is IMAC, 7.30 is Drew Hill, 7 o'clock is Ian Mendez. Reminder, tonight there is a hockey match between your Vancouver Canucks and the National Predators. couple notes here. One, 7.30 start time. Note the puck drop time. I hate it when Nashville comes in and always screws with our start times. It's just the worst. And then two... We're giving away a pair of tickets. A-Dog, yeah, don't sip on that coffee too hard. I got your right mid-coffee sip there. That was good. (laughs) (laughs) Tell the folks what we got today. Yeah. Ticket giveaway. Pair of tickets for tonight's game. So, best what we learn. Hashtag WBL, ticket emoji. 
for Another. tonight's game. That's yeah. a quick turnaround. You I better know. be available. So, yep. you know, anyone in on the island, if, if you're going to enter this conversation, yeah, don't enter this com- competition, uh, make sure you can make the game. All right, that's all the information. Uh, let's get into what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? Canucks win! Canucks win! Take that, Toronto! Elias Pettersson and JT Miller scored shorthanded goals 44 seconds apart on the same penalty kill. Yes, that's right. That penalty kill. Uh, that's more than enough than the Canucks needed. A 4-1 victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs at Rogers Arena on Saturday. Again, I reiterate, the worst penalty kill maybe in the modern era, not just this season, somehow managed to score two shorthanded goals on the same penalty kill. Yeah, the PK actually got it done for the Canucks with those goals, and there's a guy in goal for the Vancouver Canucks, Thatcher Demko, who has returned and looks terrific. Uh, We all remember Demko did not get off to the best start uh, for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, It was one of the many, many major reasons. There were many major reasons why the Canucks struggled to start the season, and uh, they're still not perfect. Uh, but they got it done against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, the Leafs outplayed the Canucks for large portions of the game, but the Canucks, um, you know, got it done with key moments, especially on the PK. But mostly, it's goaltending. Like that's 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 been the major difference. Uh, Thatcher Demko, the the goalie that we all know and love here in Vancouver, is back. Um, it's always fun to beat the Leafs. I was actually at BC Place at the rugby. Uh, at the Rugby Sevens, which was a, a fun event, as always, on, on Saturday. So I, I didn't get to go to the game, or I didn't even get to watch the game. But from all that I've heard, the atmosphere in the arena, Rogers Arena, it was a really fun night. And anytime the Leafs come to town, and especially if the Canucks can beat them, it's a fun atmosphere. But let me tell you, Team Tank is getting really worried with Demko back in form and Hronik on the way, uh, the Canucks have been like they've almost bought two players at the at the deadline because, of course, they've brought in Hronik, but yeah. and and we'll see when he's going to be uh, healthy enough to play, and we'll see what kind of impact he has. But the the big one for me is Demko, mm-hmm. and. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of Canucks fans that like they're just torn on the issue of whether this is good or not because you know there there is the incentive to lose games down the stretch and give yourself a better shot at Connor Bedard and the rest of the studs in this draft, but also like I don't think anyone didn't want Thatcher Demko to turn it around just because. He plays for the Canucks, and he's a pretty important asset for the Vancouver Canucks, either playing for the team or I wouldn't want to bring it up, but you know, if there's some teams out there that are looking for goaltending this offseason, maybe they'd be willing to pay pretty, pretty big for a Thatcher Demko that looks like the Demko that played Saturday in Toronto and has returned from the injury and looked terrific. Evil media always trying to trade our best players, always trying to drive them out of town. No, I agree with you on this. I think... Um, this is a good thing. And I understand that anyone that wants them to plummet to the bottom of the standings to get a better percentage chance of winning a lottery that they've never won and never will, uh, I understand that you're upset. 
The Canucks are doing everything in their power to finish ninth in the Western Conference. Well, that's what they're supposed to do I know. on the ice. I know. That is their job. Thatcher Demko's job is to stop as many pucks as humanly possible mm-hmm. and get paid handsomely for it. That's the return. That's the job. And here's the thing. Everyone needs to come to grips with what's going on here because the Canucks are spelling it out in very plain language. Next season really matters. Patrick Alvin said on Friday that he expects them to be a playoff team. Everything that they are doing, every piece of business, every trade, every transaction, everything Tockett does, everything Foot and Gonchar do, where they're like, stop letting in so many goals. <laughs> they're all, all, all designed to be way better next season and to try and make the playoffs. Yep. We just need to come to grips with that. Mm-hmm. So when you're saying, well, what's going on right now? Well, what's going on right now is they're trying to get Thatcher Demko uh, up to speed, because remember, he's missed, what, the better part of two and a half months Mm -hmm. with an injury, get his confidence back, get him back to where he was during the the, the halcyon days of Bruce, there it is, and then hit next season running. They want to hit next season running. That's the impression that I have gotten from listening to more talk at audio than I ever need to listen to, to be honest. I, I... Every clip that comes through, your impression is 100% on. This is, this is, and this is why they brought Talkit in. And, and this is why they went out and made the Philip Peronic deal at the time that they did. First mm-hmm. of all, they found out he was available. But also, I think they want to get him into the lineup and acclimated to Vancouver. And again, the Canucks have had so many bad starts to the season. They want to avoid that next season. Now, mm-hmm. the pressure is going to be on even more to avoid those bad starts. And we'll see if they start on the road again. That'd be bad. Maybe they might want to switch that up a little bit. Um, the Canucks are 4-2-1 and one in their last seven. And the idea, really, of finishing in the bottom five of the league seems pretty remote now. Now, why is that important, finishing in the bottom five? Because there's – the consensus is, and everyone's going to have different draft opinions, but the consensus is, is that there are five studs in this draft. Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Benson – and Mitchkov, right? And then after that, who knows? Like, people will have different opinions, but the consensus is that those five guys will go first. Maybe Mitchkov might be a little bit different just because he's Russian, so there, there is that factor, so he could drop. But there's a reason. Who is the team that did the top five protected top five protected draft? I can't remember who it was. It doesn't really matter. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're looking at the, the overall standings, um, I don't think the Canucks are going to be finishing below Arizona, Anaheim, San Jose, Chicago, or Columbus. Those five teams are pretty much locked into the bottom five, especially the way Demko's playing, especially the way the schedule softens up for the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver's more in the mix with Montreal, Philly, and maybe even St. Louis for, I don't know, what, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th worst? Mm-hmm. So, I... <laughs> I think this is the way it is, uh, you know, whether you like it or not. And one of your messages was like, we all got to get comfortable with this, not comfortable, but we all got to accept this, that this is the way the Canucks are going to go about their business, yep. which is a lot of people will point out <laughs> the same way they've gone about their business for the last, what, six, seven, ah, eight years. But it's yeah. a different guy but, conducting the business. Here's the 10-game winning this, streak to end the season. But this time, uh, it'll be different. Okay, Philip Hironik before. Um, By the way, it was Ottawa in the Jacob Chikrin trip. Yeah, that's Top what I thought it was, but I didn't want to just BS my way through I'm that. here for you, buddy. Okay, um, 
the JT Miller situation. Sorry, folks, but we gotta we gotta talk about this because Elliot Freeman on the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast basically broke down what he thinks happened on trade deadline day, or what didn't happen, or in the days leading up to the trade deadline between the Vancouver Canucks and the Pittsburgh Penguins. First of all, Laddie, I want to play Alvin on JT Miller. Uh, do you have that ready to go? Yet, yes or no? Just use your mic. Use your mic. There's two JT Miller clips. One okay. from Central. The, the, not the one from Central. Okay. The one that he said at the press conference when he talked about not getting an offer for JT Miller. Play, this is this is Patrick Alvin, general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. Right after the deadline, this is what he had to say on all the talk about JT Miller. I had uh, one team uh, that reached out to me here uh, this morning. Um, I don't think they were very serious. Um, I never had an offer uh, for JT Miller, so I leave it at that. Okay, so he says that they never had an offer for JT Miller. Mm -hmm. Now, do you believe, option A, that there just wasn't a team that interested in JT Miller? Mm -hmm. Or do you believe, option B, that what Patrick Galvin is is saying in the way, you know, we never had an offer on JT Miller is more semantics? Uh, Okay, so I'm going to say B based largely on what Fridge said on 32 Thoughts. So the, we're going to play the You want to play the clip now? It's yeah, long. let's play the whole thing. Okay. It's a long clip, but I think you got to leave it long because – got to leave it long because there's a lot of information, and it kind of walks you through chronologically what he figures happened here. Uh, it starts off with – and I cut this part out. Fridge with this anecdote about how if he wasn't going to be a reporter, he would have been a lawyer. And one of the things the lawyers will always tell you is that – Unless you have something formalized in writing that both parties have agreed to in terms of an offer, then you don't have an offer. You have the concept of maybe having an offer, but you don't have an actual offer. Does this sound like semantics? Because if so, good. That's essentially what we're talking about here. Then Fridge really dives into the nitty-gritty about what went down between Pittsburgh and the Canucks regarding JT Miller. Again, it's a long clip. But take it all in, folks. It's a Monday morning. Here's Elliot Friedman uh, on the Pittsburgh-Vancouver situation from 32 Thoughts. I think they talked about it. Here's the problem. I think Vancouver wanted a young center, and Pittsburgh doesn't have one of those. Was Vancouver willing to deal with Pittsburgh? Yes, I think they were. Was Pittsburgh willing to deal with Vancouver? Yes, I think they were. Were the two of them able to make a deal together? No. I don't think they were, but were they trying to think of ways that they could possibly make it happen? Yes. I think it was incredibly complicated. I think it might've had to involve two other processes. Number one was finding a young center that the Canucks would be happy with. So would Pittsburgh have to trade for this young player and then trade him to Vancouver Mm -hmm. or would it have to be a three-way deal? And also, and this wasn't necessarily Vancouver's business, it was Pittsburgh's. If Pittsburgh traded for a guy with JT Miller's contract, what would they have to do to their roster? Would they have to call other teams and say, can you take this player or that player? Because if Vancouver wasn't willing to take the player, who would have been? 
So I don't believe there was an actual offer made because I don't think either side could get there. I think you had two partners willing to dance. Do you want to dance? Yes, I want to dance. But then they realized they couldn't agree on what dance step to use. Or what song. Or what song to <laughs> dance to. I like this song. I don't like that song. Let's wait for the next song. That's what I think it was. I mm. think it was incredibly complicated. I think Vancouver was willing. I think Pittsburgh was willing. But they didn't have exactly what each other wanted. And if that was the case, what else would Pittsburgh have to do to get a player with Miller's salary on their roster? Now, I don't think this is over. I think it could potentially be discussed in the offseason. I just heard right now it was incredibly complicated, but it doesn't mean if there's a will, they can't go back to this. But as someone said to me, it's going to be really hard to do. It probably needs one more team, maybe two, and we'll see. As you're saying this, I'm saying to myself, well, if the Vancouver Canucks are looking for a young center, why are they calling Pittsburgh? Like this one has multi-layers to it or Pittsburgh doing some homework first and then coming back to Vancouver with a presentation before they do anything. Like I wouldn't be surprised if the two teams discussed who's the young player around the league that you like. Like I don't know this for sure. I want to stress this. Mm -hmm. But if you told me the two teams like said, okay, who's the young center of Vancouver would want, and they both kind of looked at it and said, can we do this? Like the way I think this really went crazy in the last few days is because I think one, if not both of those teams were talking to other teams about what else would have to happen if we wanted to get this deal done. That makes 100% sense to me. That's what I think now. On Friday night, that's what I think. So it's, it's a lot to digest there. Now we get some people texting in. Why are you guys talking about a JT Miller trade that didn't happen on a Monday after the Canucks beat the Maple Leafs on Hockey Night in Canada and everything and everything? You got to think big picture. We're not talking about a trade that didn't happen so that we can revisit one of our favorite talking points of the last nine months. Here's what you have to understand. This season right now, does not matter. They're the Canucks, no playoffs this year. Mm -hmm. Not going to make it. Got a feeling they're not going to make it. Next season, very much matter. Big important. Okay? When you talk about trades that happen in the NHL, oftentimes they are birthed a year in advance sometimes. Everyone remember? Like uh, the Oliver Ekman Larson deal, maybe? Everyone remember that one? Yeah. Remember how a year before they made the trade, <laughs> they started talking about the trade? You remember that? That's why this is important. Because there's talk about, and if you want to cut through the four minutes of what Frege had to say, it, the crux of it is basically this. Both parties were interested in doing something. <clears throat> it was just too complicated at the time, and they ran out of time. That's what a deadline is. You have a certain time to do a deal. At a certain point, both parties may have said, let's put the phones down for now. And let's pick them back up later. This is too hard to do right now, um, given the deadline and given all the cap constraints 
around the league. Uh, perhaps the Canucks bit off a little more than they could chew with their demands around we got to find a centerman, a young centerman, if we're going to pull off this deal. Um, but as you mentioned, we all know that next season matters. And we all know, here's the thing, we all know that when they sent Horvat to the Islanders, they made sure to get a young center in return, right. in Atu Ratu. Now, will the Penguins still be interested in JT Miller this offseason? What if Ron Hextall gets fired like everyone in Pittsburgh seems to want? I'm talking about the fans there. And Josh Yohei of the Athletic. <laughs> Could they even fit Miller after adding Michael Granlin? Michael Granlin wasn't a rental. He's still got like two or three years left, five, $5 million. I'm frankly shocked that the Penguins didn't do something bolder. They also got Nick Benino. But then I, adding, but I, but I get what you're saying. Then adding Michael Backl or Michael Granlund mm -hmm. at, at the deadline. Yeah, I know they got Benino and they got what Kulikov too. Is that gonna is that gonna move the needle for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Malkin, Latang, and Sid are signed for multiple years more. They are not getting any younger. They are all into their mid 30s now, which mm -hmm. is, you know, the greats, the future Hall of Famers can play um, at a high level. Uh, into their late 30s oftentimes. But, you know, I, I actually wonder if the Penguins looked at the East this year and went, mm, maybe we should just wait on this. Maybe we'll wait and see if Bergeron and Krejci retire and all of a sudden Boston doesn't look so good or Toronto makes, um, you know, they, they don't get through the first round or something and, and they move on from some of their core players in, in their weekend and they look to the future or Tampa Bay gets one year older. Maybe we need to just punt on this season because the East looks so good. Or maybe they just tried to get JT Miller in and couldn't couldn't pull the deal off, so they went, all right, let's get Michael Granlin instead. Uh, but I really do wonder if this will, will actually be revisited in the offseason and whether or not at some point the Canucks either have to come out and say, yeah, it's st we're, we're, we're still open to anything pretty much, or if they have to go like, okay, we got to stop this. We got to yeah. stop this JT Miller talk. We're keeping JT Miller. Okay. Because yeah. I honestly, like, I mean, you said earlier earlier in the show, like, you know, we're, we're not just doing this so we can bring up our favorite talking point because, frankly, this is not our favorite talking point. We're so tired of this, but mm -hmm. it's still out there. It's still front and center, the J.T. Miller situation. Yeah, and all I wanted to say was to the people that think that, again, some people have some very myopic views on what's happening. And I think it's the big, bad media. And that's fine. Like, we are big and bad and stupid and whatever. Like, sometimes that happens. But I think I can only speak for this show and Bruff and I and the dogs as well. Um, all we're doing is trying to think about this on the highest level, which is hard because we're not smart, but the biggest picture imaginable. So when you're talking about that, you have to talk about the highest paid player on the team, JT Miller, the guy with the longest term, JT Miller, and the guy who was involved in some sort of trade talks up until Friday, JT Miller. They all matter in the grand scheme of things because he's a huge part of this right now. Huge, huge, huge part of this. That's what you have to understand. So we're walking you through it as best we can because this is how we see next season playing out. He's either going to be a huge part of what they're doing on the ice or he's going to be a huge part of what they get in return. Either way. Now, someone else texted him. Come on, guys. Talk about who has a job next year and which, which prospect we could expect in the 6-12 to 12 range if we fall out of the top five. One... 
We are talking about who has a job next year. Miller will either have one with the Canucks or won't. Two, we are we can discuss this on the other side because something else you might want to start thinking about. Don't start thinking about prospects in the 6-12 to 12 range. Think about what that first-round pick might get the Canucks in return. Oh, boy. Okay? Oh, boy. Start thinking about it. Oh, think no. Think about it. Put it in your pipe and smoke it. Put it in your brain and think about it. We're going to talk about that on the other side. We also need to talk about the Calgary Flames. They are in a very bad way. And the Tampa Bay Lightning. When's the last time we said the Tampa Bay Lightning were in a very bad way? But they absolutely are. I also want to replay some audio from Patrick Alvine. Uh, on Friday, talking about getting cap compliant and how the Canucks might get cap compliant. And considering compliant was Patrick Galvin's words, um, compliant is one thing. Improving the team is quite another. So lots of uh, Canucks talk coming up in the next segment of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Six thirty-one on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. It's a Monday. We're angry and up the blood. I know that the Canucks beat the Maple Leafs on Saturday, which is actually a very entertaining game, by the way. Despite the fact that the Canucks had to start three hours earlier than normal. What was your favorite part of the game? Mine was Tyler Myers' hit on John Tavares. Uh, that was pretty good. Mine was the shorthanded goals. Yeah. Just, it was, the, so it's funny I think it was Woodley wrote the article, the gamer for NHL.com. Mm-hmm. And the lead actually included the fact that the Canucks have this historically bad penalty kill. Right. But also managed to score two. I call it the goals. power kill, though. Yeah. Two short anti goals in 44 <laughs> seconds, which is amazing. I still can't really wrap my head around it. But it, yeah, it was an entertaining night. Um, but again, when we're, I mean, here's the thing the other thing with the, the show is that when we got off the air on Friday, the trade deadline was still going. Like, that's how long it's been since we've been on the air. So many things have happened since then. And then Alvin met with the media on Friday afternoon. We parsed through that over the weekend. And then, of course, like the insiders like Frege have all the post-deadline stuff that they've heard that never materialized and what comes next, right? So one of the things that we were kicking around the idea of, in part because Alvin covered so many topics on Friday, was the remaining first-round pick for the Vancouver Canucks going into the 2023 NHL entry draft. So here's a question I'll throw out there. And remember, five consensus studs in this NHL draft. Bedard, Fentilli, Carlson, Benson, and Mitchkoff. After those five, who knows? So here's the question I'm throwing out to the listeners, too. If the Canucks don't end up with a top-five pick, which pretty much means at this point, if they don't win the draft lottery, right? Do you think they'd consider? Do you think they'd float? Do you think they'd? Yes, trade their first <laughs> round pick. I do. Um, I do. I do. At this point, yeah, it'd be pretty silly to rule out the possibility. This team is chasing the primes of Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes. And Thatcher Demko. Now, when do those primes occur? Uh, right now, you're they in, are. You're in, in it, bud. They are in their primes. 
arguably the best defenseman to ever play for the Canucks. Broke an NHL record, too. Nobody's even talking about. The 200 assists? Yeah. The first... one, one game faster than Brian Leach? Yeah. yeah above Bobby Orr. Yeah. Maybe yeah. you've heard of him. He's El- decent. Elias Pettersson, who has had a terrific season and is evolving into one of the, one of the best two-way players in the game, and Thatcher Demko, who we all know, uh, when he's at the top of his game, is one of the best goalies in the NHL. They also have to shed some contracts. They need to move some bad money out. Now, I'm not saying that they would, you know, use the first round draft pick to trade Tyler Myers or use the first round draft pick to trade OEL, and we'll get to OEL in a bit because it would take more than that for OEL. But it could be used in, let's say, there's a blockbuster trade. Like I go back to that OEL trade. There was a lot involved in that. There were shedding contracts of the first round draft picks coming back. There was a defenseman in OEL. There was Connor Garland. Like it could be a big deal like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, someone texted in and said that Patrick Alvine um, said on Canuck Central that. You know, one of the reasons they felt comfortable trading the the pick that they got in in the Horvat deal was that they still had their own pick. Yep. And yeah, that that might be like I, I'm not saying the Canucks are definitely going to trade that first round draft pick, but I'm saying that I think you have to monitor it um, because if it falls outside that top five, that consensus top five players, which seems likely at this point, mm-hmm. considering the standings and the way the Canucks are playing which is actually better than they have most of the season and they're getting goaltending now. Um I think you got I think you you've definitely got to consider it because they uh, uh, they are chasing the primes of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko. So here's the thing. Uh and we'll get to some of the Alvin audio in a sec, but Alvin essentially said once they realized that Heronic was available, they got in on the action, correct? They said that they re- Yeah. I'm just I'm paraphrasing here. You, last week, astutely pointed out that the going rate for players of that caliber, especially defensemen, is exactly what they paid. Mm-hmm. It wasn't an overpay. The first and second for a 24-year-old right-shot D-man who's a top-four guy. 25, but still. Market, market value, yeah. right? If you're going to do it again, and you're going to expedite this process where you want to get players in the door that are around that same age, 24, 25, and, are, and you're chasing the prime, <laughs> guess what it's going to cost again? A first and probably something else. So, who, like, who, who, what are you going to trade? If, uh, can everyone agree that the Canucks are probably going to be trying to get another defenseman in the door that fits the age range, 25 and under? Yep. Okay, well, some people won't want us to talk about trading the first-round draft pick. Fair enough. What else can they trade? Thatcher Demko. Well, people won't want us to talk about trading Thatcher Demko. Okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> Right? right, like that. Well, but, uh, that's a problem, yeah. and, and 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 like people will say, "Well, don't stop talking about trading JT Miller." And even if they trade JT Miller, apparently, what they're interested in getting back is a young center in return or two first round picks. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't. <laughs> apparently, not. No, I know. It's um, it, it's, it's it's just they have limited assets to trade. Brock Besser isn't going to get it done. Connor Garland isn't going to get it done. Uh, let's talk about cap space now, because they don't have all that much cap space to chase. Any moves, really? Like they're not in this position where they're like, we got a lot of cap space, so we can we can probably take advantage of a team that's capped out. Mm-hmm. They're not in that position. 
So Patrick Alvin was talk, uh, was asked about Oliver Ekman Larson, and I'm going to play some audio first from Patrick Alvin, and then we'll discuss the options that the Canucks have with Oliver Ekman Larson. Laddie, do you have the Patrick Alvin on Oliver Ekman Larson? Here we go right now. Oliver has not performed uh, to the level that I expect him to perform at, and. Uh, it's our job to help every single player to perform to their uh, to their level of what they're capable of, and uh, um, we need uh, we definitely need more out of uh, Oliver Ekman Larson. Uh, if our team is going to be better, he needs to be better, and uh, I'm sure that, that that he knows and he understands it, and and uh, we will work with him. So, would they buy him out, or are they going to quote unquote? work with him. The thing that you have to understand about an OEL buyout is the pain is spread over eight years, but next season, next season, for whatever reason, I don't understand the formula <laughs> and I don't care to understand it. His cap hit would go from over seven million to almost Zero. It's hilarious because zero for next season. So essentially, if they buy out OEL next season, does next season matter? Next season matters. Have the Canucks ever kicked the can down the road on on a problem? Yes, they have. Next season, OEL's cap hit with a buyout, almost zero. Yeah, there's pain eventually, but not next year. Next year is pain free. It's like an entire year on a leave. It's amazing. <laughs> I believe is great. When Alvin was talking about being comfortable that the Canucks would be cap compliant for next season based on quote unquote internal discussions, I immediately thought about an OEL buyout. Like what, what other internal discussions could there be? If you're talking about training players, I would hope that it would be external discussions that they would be having. Uh, I want to talk, I, I want to play one more or a couple more Patrick Alvin clips. This one is on cap compliance and Patrick Alvin was on Canucks Central and he had this to say. Uh, as, as we talked uh, during the last couple of weeks here, um, I felt comfortable that I had options uh, to uh, get cap compliant uh, by uh, doing some some of those options moves uh, in the off season, um, where uh, were were enough discussions uh, that I felt that uh, at this point we we were a, we were in good hands adding a, a top right shot defenseman there. So that was a question about Philip Peronic, who's going to need who's who's already signed for next season, and he adds to. Uh, the cap crunch that the Canucks are going to be under. Um, I noticed Patrick Alvin keeps using the word compliant. Like the league will make you be compliant. Yeah. Like the Canucks will be compliant for the salary cap because compliant or you don't play because they yeah. have to, right? <laughs> yeah. Like they, they 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 will be cap compliant. The question is, what's it going to take to be cap compliant? So we go through all these options, right? Mm -hmm. Like, will there be someone out there that? really likes Brock Besser or Connor Garland and, and and thinks there's bounce back potential in 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 one of those two or or both of those two or maybe someone wants Tyler Myers after his bonuses is paid out or even before his bonus was paid out because there's just this dearth of 
right shot defenseman and Tyler Myers can hit John Tavares really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, then you talk about, well, maybe you use draft picks, first round draft pick as part of that cap clearing measure, or maybe you buy out OEL. These are all options available to the Vancouver Canucks. Um, but being compliant is one thing actually improving the team is quite another. Now, Patrick Alvin, this was right at the end of his availability, uh, not on Canucks Central, but the end of his scrum with the media, that he made a comment that <laughs> I think I heard Thomas Drance's jaw hit the floor when Patrick Alvin made this comment about, and the topic was being um, flexible with your cap so that you can take advantage of opportunities in the market. And Drancer pointed out that the Canucks are not all that flexible with the cap, and they might not be able to be one of those teams that can take advantage of other teams in the market. And here's what Patrick Alvin said to that. Uh, well, we, we don't have that kind of cap space, uh, but... I believe that Tampa Bay has been pretty successful, not without cap space and winning Stanley Cups. So there is a reason most of the time that you don't have cap space. And I I don't see our team being one of those teams. I don't see our team being in that category. As I said, we have Demko, Quinn Hughes, Philip Ronick, JT Miller, Elias Pettersson, and Kismenko here. So, number one, did Patrick Alvin just compare the Canucks to the Tampa Bay Lightning and the reason that the type, temp, like, are they the same? I think, I, I think I get what he was trying <laughs> see to us say. us capped out teams like Vancouver <laughs> yeah. and Tampa The Canucks Bay. have three more points than Arizona. I think, I think I get what he was trying to do. I think it just came out way wrong. Like, I don't what think he's he, seeing, I think, is that the Canucks have a lot of good players. Yeah, that was there was out of it. There was also the but like, it's funny he's like, like every team has is up against the cap. He's like when you're winning a Stanley Cup, you're up against the cap. What he just shouldn't have brought up Tampa Bay. No, because Tampa Bay's just had although lately they stink, but they've had a long <laughs> history of success. <laughs> How quickly did he regret bringing up Tampa Bay? Like half a second after he I said Tampa Bay, shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's it's one of those things where Tampa Bay has. <clears throat> I mean. The other thing about Tampa Bay, not to go too far down this road, because, again, I don't think he meant it the way that it came out, but uh, Tampa Bay has done this masterful, at times borderline illegal maneuvering around the salary cap. Like, if there's anyone that's figured out a way to play within the cap and be successful, it's the Lightning. You know, you're talking about a Vancouver team that's 26 in the standings in his press right up against the ceiling and has virtually no playoff success over the last decade. So there's a big difference there. But overall, I think I understand the sentiment. It was just, it was not, I was like, ooh, not the right one. But the other part of it was when he bookended it with look at all these good players that we have. Mm-hmm. He's not wrong. The problem is, is that these good players have never done anything success-wise at the NHL level outside of the bubble. They haven't come together as a team. And that's something that the Canucks themselves have said. And that's one of the big reasons they brought in Rick Tockett as the new head coach, to come together as a team. Now, part of that is going to be coaching and part of that is going to be culture, but part of that is also just roster construction. One of the reasons the Canucks haven't come together as a team is that, for example, one example, they're not a penalty killers. 
right? Mm-hmm. So that's something that the Canucks are going to have to improve, and it's going to be an organizational effort. It's going to be a coaching thing. It's going to be a player's thing. But it's also going to be a management thing. Are they going to be able to bring in players that can kill a damn penalty? And I know this is probably bad timing considering uh, the way they won the Leafs game, but their PK is still at 67.7%. But it's going up. So it's not just enough. If you're going to go into next season, it's not just enough to be cap compliant. The roster has to be improved if you're going to compete for a playoff spot. So this is why we're bringing up all these options. Like buying right. out OEL and, and maybe trading away the, the first round draft pick to improve the team right now. There is another reason why Patrick Alvin keeps bringing up all the good players on the team. Because he's trying to get the belief in the fan base that this team has talent. And it they, just and needs they, to come together <laughs> as do. a team. They absolutely do have talent. That's the thing. This is what we've got. Now that we know our new reality, we must embrace I know it's hard. I know we've been trained as media and certain sections of the fan base to be inherently skeptical, and our show especially, right? We're very skeptical. We can be a little negative at times. I don't know if you've heard the term house of negativity, but it has been lobbed as a criticism of our show once or twice, essentially by me, for me, about me. Um, Here's the thing. This is the first time in this managerial regime where we know exactly where they want to go and what they want to do. We were asking questions for the long. I remember coming in several mornings in a row yes. and saying, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I, I don't know what they think about this team. I don't know yeah. what they think is the best Avenue. They have clearly spelled it out. And now. I'm not going to lie. Even up to the Horvat trade, I wasn't sure what direction they were going to go in because when the Horvat trade included the first from the Islanders, which, you know, as Drance pointed out numerous times, sure looked like one of those, we're going to short the Islanders and see if we can maybe get a really high first-round pick. The moment that they moved that pick, everything really became crystal clear. And then you saw the um, statements being issued, and you saw the moves being made, and you understood exactly what this organization wanted to do. Now, I'm going to take this narrative in a totally different situation. If this works, if this works, it's going to be a blueprint that people are going to point at and look back on for a long time and be like, holy cow, it worked. Because traditionally, in NHL circles, the way that you build a contender is, it's not always the same, but it's kind of paint by numbers. You build, you build, you build, you get a couple lucky breaks along the way. And then when it's time to hit the gas, you hit the accelerator big time and you go and you make your deals and everything. The Canucks are doing this totally differently. They're building around a core which has yet to come together and have sustained success at the NHL level. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are going out and paying premiums for guys in that 24 to 26 window, which you just don't see all that often. The Hronik trade was very unique to me, more so than the Chikrin trade. Chikrin trade was a fire sale. Yeah. Hronik, you had a team that was on the cusp of being a playoff team, and you had Eiserman looking three years down the road, basically, and saying, I don't know if we can afford this guy. Right. The, and Eiserman so, sold hard at the deadline. So if this is what's happening, and it works, you're talking like, – you're going to remember this season when they do the 30 for 30 with, like, the sad music in the background, like, these were the dark times. Bruce Boudreaux got fired and was crying in his final game in front of the fans. 
You know, they were 27th in the standings. Everything was grim. They traded away the captain. And then this will be the pivot point where things start to move up. But it's, I just don't have a previous example, either a blueprint or an anecdote or a history lesson Mm -hmm. where another team has done this. Right? And hey, someone's got to be the first. And that that's that's what you're hoping at this point that you know other te- where other teams have tried and failed this is the one that's going to work and that this is where they're going towards this is why you've got to look at is that first round pick and play <laughs> are there going to be other trades on the horizon like I, right now I'd be shocked if they didn't buy out Ekman Larson shocked because it gives them so much cap space for next year mm-hmm. relatively speaking but seven I'll, million bucks right there boom. right there and it's just staring you in the face like we can spend this on other guys right yeah and that's kind of like Oliver Ekman Larson we can bring in another OEL <laughs> no, uh, don't, don't do that can I can I just I'm just gonna I'm gonna just throw this out here and uh we can come back to this later because okay. um I don't know if we've spelled it out that Philip Hronik better be good like really good mm-hmm. for the Vancouver Canucks and here's a player that 99% of Canucks fans probably never gave a second thought to or, frankly, had even heard of in ever, like before the trade. Like, who who was honestly – like, we had Murph on. He said, yeah, once uh, I remember talking about him with a Red Wings guest at the intermission, or we considered talking about him, and then we didn't because he was Philip Peronik. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that has played some good hockey, yes, but for a terrible team in Detroit. And then all of a sudden, um, he is a very key player for the Canucks going forward. The way that Patrick Alvin has been talking this guy up, he better be real good. Like, legit top pairing or top forward defenseman. Like, mm-hmm. he cannot come in and struggle. The pressure on this guy to perform is going to be immense. Yep. Because there has been so much not only given up to get him in the door, but so much like, with this guy in the lineup now things will be different, and this is something that our coaching staff has wanted, and this is something that we've been targeting, a right-side young player that can legitimately come in and change the look of our team. Like, it is a lot of pressure to put on a guy that has never played for a winning team in the NHL. Right, but, okay, two things on that. One, we played the audio. When Alvin was running through the core of the team, the core guys, Philip Peronik was the third name that he, he listed. Yeah, like, yeah that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so there's that. Two... Um, I think the pressure that you're talking about, I also think that's an organizational mandate right now. I think that they are asking a lot of young guys step up or ship out, not actually ship out, but, uh, I think that they've asked more of Elias Pettersson. And I think that that involves the leadership and captaincy responsibilities. I think they've asked more of Quinn Hughes. I mean, we haven't, and shame on us for not talking about it, but uh, I think since Tockett's come aboard, Hughes has been even better. Yeah, he's having a terrific season. So when you talk about bringing in Hronik, now the, the, the question mark and the X factor in all this is that you don't know him very well. They don't, they don't know Philip Hronik super well. Nobody's played with him before. But I say <laughs> what you're talking about with the pressure thing, I think that's great because you may as well find out right away if he's got the goods mm-hmm. or if he doesn't. Because if he doesn't... <laughs> It's bad. bad <laughs> it's bad. so bad. But if he does, yeah, it's awesome. But you're also fast tracking this process again. Yeah. It's not like you got to come in and you can spend a year getting your feet wet mm-hmm. and trying to figure out where you fit. It's like, hey, Philip, nice to meet you. 
get your skates on. We're going to the playoffs next year. Like that's the mentality of the, of the organization right yeah. now, right? And that's why whenever he joins the team right away, I bet talk it's going to be like, go talk to Foot, go talk to Gonchar. We got to get you up to speed because this is basically extended training camp, and next season matters. Dan from North Van texts in, the only reason I knew about Hronik was because of my fantasy team. I've thought of him as a great young player over the past two to three years, and I'm actually excited to have him. Happy days. Everything about his profile says this guy is a good player. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, why did Stevie Y trade him then? Uh, well, I think there's a legitimate re- I mean, aside from him probably being the most expendable guy on that blue line, they, they here's the thing. You want to get that Larkin deal done. Well, <laughs> and they've got Cider, I guess, on the right side. Too, they do. Well. Yeah. If you're looking at it, you're saying. But still, back in my mind, why did Stevie Y trade him then? Yeah, well, I, I think he. Look, I'm going to say this with that trade. I think he might have got a little too cute and a little too clever for his own good. Because there's fans that are. Steve Eiserman? Yeah. Because there's fans that are pissed off in Detroit right now. And they're saying, we haven't had the playoffs in seven years. We've got a team that's knocking on the door. We just came out of the break and won seven or eight. You sign Larkin long term, and then you trade away Hronik and Bertuzzi, and we get nothing back on the rock. Like he, because he addressed it in his end of trade deadline media availability. He's like, I know some people. I know people are upset. I know people uh, aren't super happy. But here's my thing: Are we good enough to make the playoffs? Maybe to yes. Are we good enough to win a Stanley Cup? He said no. He just came out and said it. he's like, we're not good enough to win a Stanley Cup. That I know anything can happen when we get in the playoffs, but we're not good enough. He's looking to build and accumulate over time. I think he sees this as three years from now, we might be ready to go. But in three years from now, Cider's going to be making billions of dollars, yeah. probably. Uh, he's going to be the number one right-handed D-man, and Hronik's going to be a number two. And he's got that, what's his name, Simon Edvidson, their four yeah. other first-round pick in the minors. So it's like... Is this the opportunity for us to max out Hronik's value in a trade on the open market? I mean, you got that first. That's not just the first round pick from the Islanders. It's a real wild card because of where it could land. So I, I, I'm not so I'm not certain it's giving up on the guy, but maybe trying to leverage his position as much as possible. But it comes with a risk. It's interesting to see how that one will play out. Anyway, seven o'clock hour. We got a big seven o'clock hour here in the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Uh, we're gonna park. The Canucks talk for a bit. We're still going to stay with hockey. Uh, Ian Mendez, Athletic Ottawa, is going to join us. We'll talk about the Senators team that is red hot, that Jacob Chikrin got his first goal as a Senator over the weekend. Uh, We'll talk to him about that. The Canucks obviously take on the Sens on the weekend coming up. And then it's 7.30, Jason. Uh, We're going to go to Memphis to talk to Drew Hill, not the R&B band. Drew Hill, uh, Memphis Grizzlies beat writer about this John Morant. The John Morant story was the biggest thing in sports on Sunday. Like, all due respect to everything that was going on in the yeah. NHL, my timeline was flooded with people weighing in about what the hell is going on with John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. I can't wait to, for this interview just because I'm so confused about what's going on. As Actually, you know what? That's, that's kind of – I'm always confused about what's going on. You're listening to the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650.